Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Friday, July 2nd. As we look at the results from day five of Wimbledon, the theme that stands out to me is the generational shifts in the air we see right now on both the ATP and WTA tours. Now, that is a topic we explore quite frequently here on our Cracked Rackets podcast. You look at the most notable examples, certainly on the women's side, with Naomi Osaka, Sonia Kennan, Bianca Andreescu, Iga Svantec, all earning Grand Slam titles. That success speaks for itself, but it's not just them. You see week in, week out, players like Maria Sakkari, Elisa Mertens, Own Jabu, Jen Brady, Coco Goff, Arena Sabalenka, even the Marta Kostyuks, Clara Tossins, and Lees of the world. Feels like we have that next generation of players that we know are going to likely define the 2020s era of tennis emerging on the women's tour week in, week out, day in, day out. Their Grand Slam success also, again, a bit more pronounced, but I think we're seeing it on the men's side as well. Now, while they have yet to knock off Djokovic Nadal on top of that Grand Slam uh, pedestal, certainly you look at uh, the success of Zverev, Medvedev, Tsitsipas, they They've all made finals at the last three majors. They've all won year-end championship titles. They've solidified their place as top five players. You look at guys like Rublev and, you know, additionally Sinner in FAA. Demon Nauer just won a title in the warm-up to this event. Berrettini. I know I'm going to be forgetting names. There are so many you can mention. And again, that speaks to the many talents we have. But even beyond that, a player like a Cam Norrie, who has come, uh, you know, and solidified himself now as a top 50 guy. You continue to see progress from the Francis Tiafos of the world, the players turning 23, 24 years old, solidifying their places in the top 50 as they hit their primes. Of course, the biggest question all of us tennis fans have about that generation of players is can that success they have week in, week out at the 250 level events, the 500 level events, even for some the challenger tour, can that success manifest itself on the game's biggest stages? In particular, can it manifest itself at the Grand Slams. Well, if you look at the results we've seen here at this 2021 Wimbledon, and, you know, again, a theme we've seen emerge throughout the Grand Slams here in 2021, is I think the answer to that question is yes. Excluding a few outliers, and in the men's game in particular, those outliers, Novak Djokovic, Rafael Nadal, certainly Roger Federer uh, when he's locked in here at Wimbledon, those are extreme outliers. But outside of those three, you know, gone are the days of the Wawrinkas, the Monfises, the Songas, the Simones, the Gasquets dominating week in, week out. You don't see that happening anymore. Instead, we do see a Hercots, a Sasha Bublik, a Lorenzo Sonego come in and win these titles. And now those guys are consistently competing for third, fourth round appearances at Grand Slams. Generational shifts should be on the mind of all of us tennis fans as we continue to see these 2021 Grand Slams unfold. Obviously, we've only got a slam and a half left, but Just something to keep in the back of your mind as we continue to see some fantastic tennis in front of our eyes. And of course, on today's podcast, sorry for the long intro, I want to talk about some of those results we saw unfold. Day 5 results at Wimbledon, in particular, Own Jabour, a player we have discussed quite frequently here on these mini-break podcasts, delivering the result of the day as she knocks off Garbine Muguruza in three sets to advance to the fourth round here at Wimbledon. I want to talk about how Shabur got the job done. Certainly on a day, if you puke before your match point, whether that's nerves, whether that's exhaustion, whatever it may be, you come back to serve out the match, you're going to get a conversation about you here on this mini break podcast, and we'll talk about all of the other highlights, why her game is so well suited for these grass courts, why, if you look at her results over the last 52 weeks, it is clear Own Jabour has entered the prime of her career and why that prime is going to matter to the next decade of women's tennis. Of course, speaking of mattering, it's a question I've discussed on a couple of Cracked Rackets podcasts of late. Will Sebastian Corda drop out of the top 50 before 2030? 
barring an injury, which is certainly possible. We've seen him have a bunch of things nag him early in his career, but barring a serious injury, I think we all would say the answer to that question is no. Another fantastic performance for him, four-set victory over home crowd favorite Dan Evans. I also want to talk about another emerging talent in Ludmilla Samsonova, who is going to be most uh, noted for her grass court success here in 2021. To go on the run, she's gone on, win a WTA title, now make the fourth round of Wimbledon as she knocks off Sloane Stephens in three sets. It's just not something you see happen every season, and certainly we didn't have a grass court season in 2020, so perhaps this would have come last year, and perhaps it would be less surprising to see the degree of success she's had in 2021. Nevertheless, have to break down Samsonova's performance. Talk about why she's absolutely dangerous, why the metrics suggest as much, certainly as well. Heading into week two of Wimbledon, I'll run through the rest of the day's upsets, other results as well. By the time you're listening to this, you likely have already seen some of day six unfold, if not perhaps all of it, depending on your podcast listening habits. But nevertheless, I'll give you my favorite matches on the day as well. Talk about them a bit briefly at the end, of course. I know that was a long intro. Certainly the podcast has started, but before we really get into the nitty gritty of day five, I have to remind all of you listeners that the reason we are able to do this day in, day out here at Cracked Rackets is because of the support we get from all of you Cracked Rackets listeners, from our Patreon family who get to enjoy match of the day segments every day as well. I break down my favorite match. I run through the stats. I run through the keys of the match tactically. I offer my prediction as well. Of course, if you're looking for additional coverage every day, perhaps looking for some predictions the night of hop on over to our Great Shot podcast feed, GSP Ace of the Day, coming day in, day out. 14-9 and nine through the first uh, six, uh, five days, excuse me, whatever we are at now, five, six days. And so we're feeling pretty good, feeling pretty good heading into week two. If that is something that interests you, you can find that all again on the Great Shot podcast feed. But of course, a shout out to our Patreon subscribers and a shout out, of course, as always, to our friends at Tennis Point for the best equipment at at the best prices, tennis-point.com. You use our promo code CR15, you'll get 15% off your order, free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls, tennis-point, the symbol, not the spelling, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With that in mind, let's get into it. Own Jabour Garbine Muguruza earns match of the day status on day five. It's the match I want to start with here on today's show. Look, the numbers for Own Jabour don't lie. They indicate how she's capable of knocking off a former Grand Slam champion, a seemingly very much informed Garbine Muguruza, who was excellent in the lead-up to this match. She had lost six total games in her first two matches. But if you look at Own Jabour's success over these last 52 weeks across surfaces on grass specifically, it doesn't matter her beating Muguruza, her making the fourth round, is something all of us probably—I don't want to say we saw it coming because Muguruza probably entered this match as the favorite given how dominant she looked in the first two rounds, but this is not a surprise to anyone who's following the game closely because you look at the numbers for Jabour since the tour resumed in August— She's 44-17. and 17. That's a 72% win percentage uh, overall since the tour resumed. She's won one title, her first career title, which, by the way, came in the buildup to this event for Onjabur on the grass courts of Birmingham. She beat Kasakina there. She beat Potapova there. She beat Fernandez, Watson. All good wins en route to her first title, by the way. That's one of two finals she has made on the season. Also one of six total quarterfinals she made in 18 total events. So again, the thir- in a third of the events she plays, she ends up in the final eight of the field. She's reached the fourth round now in three of the last five slams. She uh, Approaching this Wimbledon, she reached number 24 in the WTA rankings. That's a new career high for her. Now by making the Wimbledon round of 16 here this season, she is going to jump in the WTA live rankings to another new career high. Own Jabour going to be likely number 23 right now. Uh, She wins another match here. If she's able to knock off Sabalenka and make the quarterfinals, she'll go up to number 21. But the fact that Own Jabour, with that degree of success, if you're winning a title, you're making two finals, six quarterfinals, 72% of your matches, she's not a top 20 player. 
that's a bit asinine. Speaks to the flaws right now in the ranking system, and that's why I want to turn to the advanced metrics here. Tennis Abstract's ELO ratings measures who you play, not when or where. She's number 15 in overall ELO right now, number 11 in 2021 ELO. She's one of four players in the top 15 club, top 15 in both hold and break percentage. It's Sviantek, Muguruza, Sabalenka, and Own Jabor. And let's be clear, she's a fringe top 15 member. She's 14th in break percentage, 15th in hold percentage. Uh, but that does count, and the results have manifested themselves in that well-rounded skill set, that ability to do a little bit of everything, pressure her opponent's service games, while also have some comfort level holding serve. It's how she was able to get through this match against Muguruza. You look at the numbers for Jabour, she makes 58% of her first serves, which isn't a great number, but you look for her over the last 52 weeks, she's averaged a 53% first serve percentage. So for her, that's a very good number. She wins 69% of her first serve points, 18 of 22 at the net, 44 winners against 27 unforced errors. This match was on her terms, and that was a bit concerning because especially in that first set, Muguruza came out swinging, and you look at the numbers from that set in particular, she was on top of that own Jabour serve. She breaks Jabour three times in the set. You know, Jabour only has six service games in a 12-game 7-5 first set for Muguruza. So Muguruza breaking her half of the time. She's winning 60% of her first serve points, 52% of her second serve points, 11 winners against 10 unforced errors. She was playing aggressive baseline tennis. And I know on a grass court you think, well, is that not enough? And ultimately the answer was yes, but she was able to attack the Jabour serve early and just be in control of the points, being the one deciding, hey, it's my turn to, or I'm the one going down the line here. I'm the one keeping you on the move. I'm the one changing direction on you. She did a really good job of maintaining that tone throughout the first set, but look, Jabour applies endless pressure on you in different ways throughout the course of the match. She'll step up inside the baseline and take a return early and, you know, swing through that ball, and you look for her in total in the match for Own Jabour. She holds Garbine to 17 of 44 on second serve points. That speaks to the fact that when Jabour gets a clean look at the return, she's going to do something dangerous with that ball, whether it's big down the line, whether it's, you know, she'll hit a drop shot return. Like, she can successfully neutralize the pace of someone serve with a backhand drop shot. Do you know how difficult that is to do? I, I'll just say it. It's very, very difficult, especially at this level of the game, and yet that speaks to the feel, the craft, the creativity of Own Shabur, who just threw a lot of junk at Garbine Muguruza, wasn't playing baseline rallies straight up forehand-to-forehand topspin cross-court because she would lose those exchanges. And so she mixed in a lot of slice, particularly on the backhand wing, but on the forehand wing as well, it was going to make Jamie McDonald proud. She implemented the drop shots, but again, she was willing to take the ball early aggressively up the line. I mentioned the number 18 of 22 at the net. Uh, She did a really good job of just, you know, creating space for herself, getting Muguruza stretched in the outer third, and then when Muguruza would leave a ball up in the air rather than let it bounce and allow Muguruza some time to reset to the center, Jabour took that ball out of the air. She took it early, just kept the pressure on Muguruza from a movement standpoint. 44 winners speaks to her ability to attack the open space, and against only 27 unforced errors speaks to the margin that she gives herself now. Again, you look for Muguruza, 32 winners against 26 unforced errors sounds good, but she was 16 of 34 at the net, and a lot of those attempts to move forward were, they were futile from the start. It was just, I can't let Jabour be the aggressor, I can't let her be on her front foot, I can't let her get into her slices, her her reaction, her response tactically to the slices Jabour were playing was to take that ball early and to try and get to the net behind it, but she just couldn't quite do enough with her approaches. In stark contrast to Sebastian Corda, who handled the slice of Dan Evans by taking that ball's approach shot, moving in behind it, forcing Evans to hit the passing shot, Corda had more success on the day than Muguruza did. The scorelines reflect as much, but again, I'm not, I don't want to talk about what Garbine Muguruza didn't do right in this match. Certainly, she makes 63% of her first serves, wins 62% of her first serve points. Problem was, she faced 29 break points in the match, and a lot of the time, she was able to find big first serves to get out of it. The problem was, whenever she threw in a second serve, it felt like Jabour was immediately on her front foot, and you couldn't always say that 
in own Shabur service games, although Muguruza 3 of 12, she did have plenty of breakpoint chances in this match. But again, Own Jabour's numbers speak for themselves right now. You look for uh, Own Jabour, the fact that, you know, again, she's, what, 26 years old right now, turns 27 at the end of August. This is when a player hits their prime. This is when the physicality and the mentality begin to match up, when you have enough experience and you are now strong enough, you're comfortable enough with your body, your shot selection, all of the above, to play your best tennis. And that's what Own Jabour is doing right now. I mentioned uh, all of the advanced metrics. Another number I just want to throw at you guys, her record against top 50, top 20, and top 10 players. She's 13-9 and against top 50 players, 4-5 and against top 20 players, one in four against top 10 players. That one win coming in Miami against Sonia Kennan. A three-set victory for her there. But, you know, again, she's played five top 10 players in the past 52 weeks. That speaks to her ability to get to these late stages of events. And, you know, four and five against top 20 competition and considering four of those five losses came against players who were ranked in the top 10 at the time and she's not currently a top 20 player. That's ridiculous. That speaks to the flaws in the ranking. I lean more towards the advanced metrics that have her, you know, 15 overall, 11 in 2021. That's the range she's been. She's a top 15 borderline top 10 player. I mentioned the fact fourth round in three of her last five Grand Slams. You look for her. uh, The furthest she went was round of 16 at Roland Garros 2021, Roland Garros 2020. She made quarterfinals of Australian Open back in 2020 as well. When you're having that sort of uh, success consistently, so now I suppose it's fourth round in what? One, two, three, four of the last six as well. A chance to get to her second quarterfinal That's one of the 16 best players in the world. That is a player in the prime of their career. Clearly, that's what Own Jabour is. Again, she plays a fantastic match here to advance over Garbin Muguruza. And, you know, I was flaunting this prediction when she looked good early in the tournament, so I will now say it's a prediction that is certainly under some scrutiny. Will Garbin Muguruza end 2021 with a Grand Slam title, as I predicted? You look at how well she was playing to start the season. The injury in Charleston certainly robbed her of her opportunities during the clay court event, and you wonder if Muguruza is healthy. Certainly, you think she could be a Krejcikova if it eventually unfolded there on a clay court. We've seen her win a French Open title before, but look, she played a good match here, and Jabour just beat her, and that's a testament to own Jabour. You look for her now in her career, 40-14 and 14 on grass court, 74% win percentage. She can absolutely win this event. You want uh, the tennis abstract forecast for her right now, own Jabour by virtue of winning this event now, a 9.3% chance of winning this tournament. That is third behind just uh, Ashley Barty and Angelique Kerber. So own Jabour now up to third in uh, in the tennis abstract singles forecast winning projection that is a fact folks take it as it is certainly own Jabour now a matchup with Iga Sviantek looming that should be a very very fun one and she certainly just played one five seven six three six two she advances over number 11 seed Garbine Muguruza I mentioned the fact that Muguruza did not have success when Jabour threw slice at her well you know who had plenty of success countering the slice today as mentioned Sebastian Corda who is outstanding in his four-set victory over Dan Evans. And what's so scary about Sebastian Corda, he's now played a grand total of six grass court matches in his career, folks. Six. Here are the six matches. He beats Kei Nishikori, which, uh, you know, again, impressive victory, three sets in Hala. He beats Bautista Gut, straight sets. He loses to Umbert in three. Umbert goes on to win the tournament. He's now beaten Demon Hour in four, Antoine Huang in three, Dan Evans in four sets, Four of his five wins have come against players who you would consider probably top 30 talents. Because I think we agree, Kenny Shikori, now that he's healthy again, he's a top 30 guy. And Court has beaten, you know, four of them in his in the past month, his first month of pro grass court action. And I've listed all the numbers for Corda before, but they're worth going through once again. He's 41-15, and 15, a 73% win percentage since the tour resumed. One ATP title, two challenger titles, seven total quarterfinals in 16 events. He's reached the fourth round in two different slams, and it's worth remembering, not even 21 years old, or just turns 21, I suppose, this Monday. He's ATP number 50 right now, which is 
is far too low because you look at Tennis Abstract's numbers. He's number 21 in overall ELO, number 20 in 2021 ELO. He's 27th in hold percentage, 11th in break percentage. There are fewer than 15 guys who are top 30 in both hold and break percentage. Sebastian Corda is one of them. All of the advanced metrics suggested, the eye test suggested as well. This is a guy with top 10 talent. This is a guy who is going to be a top 30 player at a minimum for a very, very long time and for much of the foreseeable future. And you look for him again throughout the course of his match here, the 6-3-3-6-6-3-6-4 victory over Dan Evans. He controlled the match from start to finish. You look for him overall. Again, the numbers, uh, an impressive performance. He makes 61% of his first serves, wins 73% of those points. He wins 63% of his second serve points, five of nine on breakpoint chances. That gets the job done. That's efficiency across the board. And what's so impressive, and this was a conversation I was having on tennis Twitter yesterday, and I appreciate all of you listeners who chimed in, is what's the game plan to beat Sebastian Corda? Like, you think at this point of your career, okay, maybe throw garbage at him. Don't let him hit balls in his strike zone. Don't try and play cross-court standard rally tennis with him because he's got too much firepower. He's too dangerous going down the line off of both wings. You can't just give him standard rally balls. You've got to work him to the outer third with pace. You'd ideally not hit the same ball in the same direction more than two times in a row. Cross, cross, line. Cross, cross, line. Or line, line, cross, whatever it may be. Just keep him off his rhythm. And then ideally, you throw slice at him. You keep it, you know, the ball out of his strike zone. You make him work his movement, and he's a good mover, not a great one. Movement will never be a deficiency for him, and because of his length, uh, he's six foot five. Uh, he get, you know, that he's not the most fleet of foot. I mean, a powerful first step, a good first step, good reaction time. Again, he's a good mover. He's just not. I wouldn't say he's quite the flu. He does not doesn't have quite the fluidity of Alex Zverev because they're obviously the physical profiles between them so similar and. I'm not going to compare their two games right now. That would be a tangent that would keep us here for six hours that Korda hits through the ball from the baseline with the consistency that Alex Vieira fans have always wanted him to hit with and that Korda has that, that, I don't want to say hubris, but he's got that confidence you need to move forward and be the aggressor and say, you know what, I'm going to go big here and we're playing on my terms. And if I miss the shot, I miss it, but so be it. I think I can make it. And Zverev sometimes just plays not to lose as opposed to Korda who plays to win. That's Again, all of this is, but again, Zverev, the more fluid athlete of the two, capable of probably a little bit more things from the defensive position than Korda is. All of this is to say Dan Evans tried to do all of those things. He threw that backhand slice into Korda's body and he threw slice slices into Corda's body. He tried to change direction, tried to get Corda stretched, and Corda said, nah, I'm good. I'm going to beat you anyways, and he did. Whenever Evans would throw that slice at him, Corda would go big down the line, and you look at the numbers for him, 32 of 42 at the net in this match. Corda's willingness to be decisive, and Dan Evans, I believe it's 10 of 18 on net points in this match, He took the net away from Evans. He was the aggressor. He played on his terms. And yes, he dropped the second set, but he immediately bounced back. Again, his ability to hit that big first serve into the Evans backhand and then attack the plus one ball. His comfort level moving forward. And he's still not the best volleyer, but he knows where to be. He's confident being up there. And that's half the battle at the net is reading, reacting, knowing where to be, putting your racket out. And normally if that racket's out, these guys are so good that they're going to make that volley. And on a grass court in particular, if you can make the volley to the open space, more likely than not, you're winning the point. That's what Sebastian Corda was able to do in this match. And now he's the odds-on favorite, by the way, in the round of 16 against Karen Hatchnov. And they're very slim odds-on favorite. He's minus 122, Hatchnov minus 106. So it's essentially a pick But... Again, 20 years old, Sebastian Corda turns 21 on Monday at the date of that round of 16 match, and he's already, you know, again, Evans, Demonauer, Batista Gut, Kei I mentioned the numbers for him already, but you look, he's now, uh, over these last 52 weeks, uh, he's, I believe, 10-7 and seven against top 50 opponents, 4-4 four and four against top 20 opponents, 2-2 two and two against top 10 opponents, what, like, if the metrics suggest it, if the eye test suggests it, 
we're looking at a top 20 player right now in front of our eyes. Sebastian Corda, as is, as composed, is a top 20 player. If he never gets even a a lick better, if he never improves at all physically, if he doesn't become more fluid, and again, he doesn't turn 21 years old till Monday. Me saying he's a good, not great athlete, does not uh, move it right now, does not mean he cannot be a great athlete because he exhibits all the qualities of a plus athlete, his size, his coordination, again, that broad skill set. He can even play slice on the backhand side, and it doesn't cut, you know, it's more drive than it is finesse, but he can absolutely drive that slice, and he hits the overhead confidently as well, which is just a good test of, you know, your chops at the net, your huevos, your balls. How ballsy are you? Are you confident enough to hit that overhead? The answer for Sebastian Corda is always let, yes, he's not going to let that ball bounce. He's going to go after it. He's going to play to win play on his terms that's what he did and the preview for this match because we took him as an underdog on the GSP ace of the day some of you may have heard it already but it was a bet on this match being on his racket and you look at the results that he you know when a match is on his racket in the last 52 weeks he has executed well enough to get the job done and that's what he's able to do once again here and you could see the disappointment on Dan Evans' face because certainly he competed so well in this match. He continued to ask questions of Sebastian Corda, continued to try and extend those rallies, you know, his ability to produce depth when he was in the outer thirds, whether it be a slice cross-court, a slice down the line, his on-the-run forehand, both down the line and cross-court, just an effective shot. And, you know, again, his variety at times did flummox Corda. But that's just at times. The rest of the times, Corda took care of it. And just, Corda just looks so good from the baseline. He's able to generate power with such ease. He's able to generate depth on his strokes with such ease. Guy's an absolute stud. I'm on the Corda bandwagon. I don't want to say it took me that long because I like to think we've been talking about how successful he can be for a while. Go check our Sebastian Corda Next Gen pod we did this past offseason. But I'm fully on now. This guy can win a Grand Slam. And I'm not saying I'm putting him in the... Well, I don't know if I'm ready to put him quite in the tier. That's a conversation we're going to have to have at some point in this podcast with either David Gertler or someone else. Are we ready to put Sebastian Korda in that top tier? In the Zverev, Medvedev, Tsitsipas, for me, Sinner, FAA. Do I want to put Rublev in there? That's a debate for another time as well. But Rublev, Korda... You know, those two guys, Shapovalov, they're all in that tier right now. Are those guys going to be Grand Slam champions? They have the talent to do it. Will things break correctly? I might be willing to move Sebastian Corda into that center FAA portion of that tier one of guys. I will be shocked if we see leave the 2030s without a Grand Slam. I think he is that good. I'm not quite ready to go there because I want to see how he plays a Kachanov. I do want to see how, you know, again, the guys who can test him a little bit more with pace. Does he have the athleticism to handle that pace, respond to it frequently enough? Uh, certainly Hatchinov, a nice blend of that pace and finesse combo and the physicality that it takes to succeed at three out of five sets at this level in the 2020s. But it's close. It's very, very close for Sebastian Corda. Again, you look for him now into the fourth round of Wimbledon, second fourth round of his career. According to ATP Media, he becomes the eighth men's player since 2001 to advance to the fourth round of both Roland Garros and Wimbledon before his 21st birthday. Here's the list of players he joins. Tsitsipas, Chilich, Djokovic, Nadal, Burdich, Federer, Hewitt, Corda. Again, let's read that list. Tsitsipas made a Grand Slam final. Chilich, Grand Slam champion. Djokovic, Grand Slam champion. Nadal, Grand Slam champion. Burdich, two-time Grand Slam finalist. Federer, Grand Slam champion. Leighton Hewitt, Grand Slam champion. Now Sebastian Korda as well. I mean, come on. What are we doing here? This guy, absolute stud, youngest American to reach Wimbledon in the fourth round since Andy Roddick made the semifinals. In 2003, he checks off all of the boxes, the kindest, it seems just like the kindest guy in the world, and it's a, like, again, it, it sounds stupid, but it, the Corda family is a family that breeds success. You've got the number one golfer in the world and his sister, another, what, top five golfer in the world and his other sister. His mom was a top 30 professional. His dad, I believe, a Grand Slam champion. The Cordas know how to win. Sebastian Corda carrying on that legacy extraordinarily well. He earns a four-set victory over Dan Evans to advance to the first of what will likely be many 
Wimbledon fourth rounds in his career. That's breakdown number two. Breakdown number three, and I'm not going to go quite into the depth as I did for the first two because the last 52 weeks we've just seen more success from Jabour and Korda than we have from Ludmilla Samsonova, but... It's funny, on the last podcast, I believe, uh, or two days ago when we last talked about Ludmilla Samsonova, who earned a three-set win over Jess Pagula in round number two and earns another three-set win over an American Sloan Stevens in round number three to advance to her first fourth round at a Grand Slam in her career. You know, I, I, I made the take that she's been one of the 10 best grass court players during 2021, and I I immediately after the podcast was like, I think I said that. And I'm not sure if I have the confidence in my conviction to actually back that statement up. With two days uh, hindsight, I have the confidence in my conviction to back that statement up. You look for Ludmilla Samsonova now. Here's her run through this 2021 grass court season. She goes to Berlin. I've mentioned it before. She beats uh, Akugua. She beats Konya, uh, Konya excuse me, in final round qualifying 7-6 in the third. Then... She knocks off Andrusova, Kudermatova, Keys, still alive in this Wimbledon, Azarenka, and Bencic. She goes to Wimbledon, knocks off Kanepi, Pagula, and Stevens to advance to the fourth round. The fact that she's won, what, two plus five is seven, plus two more is nine consecutive matches now? on these grass courts. She's 9-0 and on grass in 2021. Find me a better resume. Like, maybe Own Jabour, probably. She won a title. She lost to Yelena Ostapenko, still alive at this Wimbledon, and, you know, now she's knocked off Muguruza. That's one. But who else beyond them has played enough? Ostapenko, Kasakina, 2-3, fine. But that's the conversation Samsonova's belonged with uh, during this 2021 portion of the grass court season. And she continues to back it up. And you look for Samsonova, again, what she was able to do so well in this match. It's just the power tennis she's able to play with, the chances she's able to take, the aggression with which she plays with as well. You look for her in this match, only made 50% of her first serves, but won 64% of those points, 56% of her second serve points, holds Sloane Stevens to a 37% win percentage on the Stevens second serve, creates 14 break chances for herself, only converts six of them, but that's good enough to get the job done in this match. And there's just, you know, again, she's about 5'11", 6 feet tall. The power she's able to produce, that backhand is so, the, the power in the backhand is so easy for her. The forehand's smooth as well. It's a bigger backswing, but she's able to get away with it still on these grass courts because her racket speed, that impressive as well. And again, nine consecutive wins for her on grass courts. You look for her now, 35 and uh, 20 in her last 52. And maybe you're saying to yourself, well, you know, Lunmil Samsonova, 22 years old, turns 23 in November, up to a new career high of number 65, was playing a lot of ITF events early in the season. and Or or maybe you think to yourself, was she playing a bunch of ITF events early in the season? The answer is no. She was playing qualifying at a bunch of WTA events, makes uh, or gets through qualifying in Australia and has been trying to play exclusively at the WTA level since. Let's just look at her results over the last 52. You look overall, she's 7-7 seven and seven against top 50 players, 3-3 three and three against top 20 players. Now, all three of those wins against top 20 players came, or excuse me, two of the three came on grass courts. One of them came against Kiki Burton's in Miami, but to call Kiki Burton's a top 20 player at this point, probably a little bit unfair. Still, you look at the other results, three set loss to her for Petra Martic on the clay in Palermo. I think we can say that's a good loss. Three set loss to her first round to Sonia Kennan, last round French Open. Uh, last year French Open, Sonia Kennan goes on to make the final of that event. You look this year in Australia, straight set loss for her to Garbine Muguruza. Muguruza was the only player in the draw who had a match point on Osaka. So all of this is to say that Samsonova has played at a really high level now for the last 52 weeks. Now, the grass court happens to be where her success has manifested the most results, but she's on the level, and she's only 22 years old. That's the crazy part. It's, you know, again, these generational shifts. It's the Samsonovas of the world, the Jill Teichmans of the world, the Marie Buzkovas of the world. Who populate pop? I don't know why that that just sounded weird coming out of my voice. Who populate? Who populate the rest of the top fifty of the rankings? And that is indicative of the generational shift we see occurring. And that's a common feature, I think, of both tours right now. As you see these twenty-two, twenty-three year olds, like the Samsonova, 
I don't want to say bublik comparison, but very, very similar, right? They just, on the right weeks, their power, their tennis, it clicks. They're going to give people troubles because they play on their terms. And that's how you would describe Samsonova, who just outpowers Stevens in the end in this match. And just, you know, again, it was on her terms. Even she goes through her streaks of missing, and it's a credit to Sloane Stevens, who I've talked about earlier in the week. I'm not going to repeat the stats now, but she's starting to play her best tennis again, which is a really, really good, good thing for American tennis fans. It's just a good thing for the WTA dynamic as well. Women's tennis is a better place when Sloane Stevens is thriving, but Samsonova had more power than her. And even when Stevens was able to use her athleticism, get the ball to the outer thirds, change directions on Samsonova, the moment Samsonova got a clean look in a rally, she either hit the winner, hit the the shot that set up the winner, or she missed the ball. And like when two out of your three options involve you winning the point, that's usually a good thing for you. And that is the sort of firepower Ludmilla Samsonova has now. I'm not ready to induct her into Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club. Don't worry. We're not that reactive. If she wins this event, we'll have an emergency board meeting, and we'll have to discuss it. If you become a Grand Slam champion, you go, whatever, uh, 16-0 and during a grass court season. Or Wait, I, the math there wasn't right. If you go 7 plus 7, 14-0 in a grass court season, we can be in an emergency session. But her power tennis is real. I think she's going to last in the top 75 for a while, and as she continues to rein in that power and experience more success across surfaces, you look for her and her career, and you know, I wanted to look regardless of level just because she's only played 250 matches. She's won 61% of her hard court matches, 53% of her clay court matches, now 83% of her grass court matches. Lamilla Samsonova's coming, folks. She's into the fourth round of a Grand Slam for the first time in her career as she knocks off Sloane Stevens 6-2, 2664 to advance in this event. Speaking of advancing, you guys have heard me talk about it all week. It's not every day that you can learn about a product that's in the 4.0 stage of its development. That's exactly the case, though, with our friends at Manscaped and the new Lawnmower 4.0. Now, in case you haven't heard, Manscaped, best in the world in men's below the waist grooming, they offer precision engineered tools for your family jewels, including their fourth generation trimmer, the Lawnmower 4.0. And guess what, folks? If we are plugging a product that is good enough for over 2 million men worldwide to use, probably good enough for you as well. We trust our I suppose manscaping needs to our friends at Manscaped. I'm not going to say, hey, I tried out the Lawnmower 4.0. It worked great for me because you guys probably don't want to hear that. But I did try out the Lawnmower 4.0, and it worked great for me. It can work great for you as well. Again, the best in men's below-the-waist grooming, our friends at Manscaped. You go to their website, manscaped.com right now. You use our promo code NEWBALLSPLEASE. You'll get 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code NEWBALLSPLEASE at manscaped.com. Again, 20% off and free worldwide shipping. Make grooming time the best time in the bathroom. Manscaped.com. The promo code is new balls, please. With that in mind, let's talk about the upsets. Let's talk about the other results we saw on day five of this 2021 Wimbledon. And day five is the first day where you really start to feel, huh? We had the matches wind down a bit, didn't we? It's half the round of 32, right? 16 matches, so eight women's matches, eight men's matches on the day 16 is just a reasonable number you feel like I you know are you gonna get to watch all of all 16 no can you watch 20 minutes of all 16 absolutely and you know again it makes for I suppose a slightly more organized outline but you know it also leads to fewer upsets and I suppose Corda over Evans, technically an upset. The odds in that match had it a toss-up. We picked Corda over Evans. If I can see it, it's certainly probably not that glaring of an upset. Jabour over Muguru is the same deal. On paper, upset kind of felt like more of a toss-up than anything else. But you look overall now, uh, you also had number 13 seed Elisa Mertens on the women's side, knocked off by a fellow seed in Madison Keys. So again, the definition of upset a bit loose there, but... Look, a clicking Madison Keys is a dangerous prospect for the rest of this women's draw, and that's exactly what we have. She is landing first serves, hitting that return cleanly, hitting it big. This match was on her racket, and certainly there were times when Merton's serve betrayed her, and she would hit a couple of hanging serves that Keys just absolutely demolished returns on, but... 
Again, this speaks to the fact that Madison Keys also has top-tier power, and she's a former semifinalist at this event. And you look right now, Madison Keys, a 5.1% chance of winning this event, according to Tennis Abstract's women's forecast. Look, everyone at this point has some sort of relevant chance, except for perhaps Emma Raducanu, uh, who we'll talk about when we do our Day 6 recap, but... Uh, she's the only one I suppose the forecast won't give a greater than 0% chance to at this point just because the sample size is too small. But there's no denying we know the power tennis Madison Keys has played of, and there's not a recent sample size of results to say she can do it seven matches in a row, but she's done it for three now. This was a really, really impressive victory. Now she's going to take on Victoria Golubic, who has certainly, you know, can match her shot for shot and a little bit more dynamic, uh, more fluid of a mover, certainly from the baseline, better in those outer thirds. But that first serve to the Golubic backhand, that's a recipe for success for Madison Keys. And, you know, again, now she's into the second week. It's a dangerous place for her to be. Fantastic victory for Keys, again, to upset number 13 seed Elisa Mertens. 7 5 6 3. Tough one for Mertens. That was a winnable match. But Keys ultimately advancing on the men's side. Again, this is what Martin Fucevic does. 6-3-6-3-6-7-6-4 over Diego Schwartzman. Diego Schwartzman, I think, under 500 record in his career. I want to say it's like 7-11 and 11 now in grass court matches. But let's not take away from Fucevic, who we talk about this modern player on the men's side. It's another topic we talk about all the time here at Cracked Rackets. I think the men's game is just shifting to these ridiculously fluid 6-4-6-6 freak athletes who all naturally have 120 to 135 mile per hour serves because of their size but are also ridiculously fluid in the outer thirds of the court, can play counter-punching baseline tennis. Essentially, think Alex Virev, think Daniil Medvedev, think Sebi Korda, think Karen Hatchinoff, think Hubi Hurkacz. Do you want me to keep listing examples? I can. Tsitsipas is 6'4", FAA is 6'4", Fritz is 6'5", obviously Opelka is 7'7". Seven seven. Um, I just think that uh, Sasha Bublik, 6'6", six six, like... That's the direction the game is headed. Look at the numbers. Look at the players who are having success. While there are still a place for people under that six foot four, I'm not saying you absolutely have to be six foot four that it's going to be a prerequisite immediately for success, but that's the way the game is trending. Look at the facts. And Fucevic knocks off all of that box all of those boxes. Six foot five, six foot six, fluid athlete, can play slice, can play from the baseline, has that hundred thirty mile per hour serve if he needs it, and that size just overwhelms Schwartz in the end. Again, Diego Schwartzman third round Wimbledon. His French Open Wimbledon results back-to-back sets him on the right path heading into a hard court summer where he can certainly have success, but this is what Fucevic does. Makes fourth rounds. I believe he's gone third round or greater now in four of the last seven grand slams. Uh, He is into the fourth round with an upset over Diego Schwartzman, and you know, again, across the board, yes, Schwartzman, a top 10 seed, gets eliminated, but you look at the top seeds we've had knocked off thus far. Tsitsipas and Schwartzman, your only top 10 seeds, you know, uh, PCB, Rude, Monfils, and Demonauer, your only top 15 seeds, but the guy Demonauer lost to in Sebastian Corda is into the fourth round, and, you know, Gael Monfils, we never thought he had the best form coming into this. PCB loses to Sam Query, and yes, Query got upset, but the context of that match, you could understand the loss. Steadiness on the men's side is setting in. This is, again, the, the term I keep trying to make when I'm talking about these generational shifts, because... You look at the other results on the day, and we'll start with the men's side. Rublev, 6-3, uh, 6-4, 6-2. So I screwed up a set there for Andre Rublev. I apologize. That's an outline mistake. Westoff, absolutely leave that in. But you look for Rublev, 6-3, 5-7, He advances over Fabio Fonini. That's the sort of match that perhaps a ascending player doesn't win over an established guy like Fabio Fonini, who's competed in Wimbledon third rounds countless times in his career and is just a staple of making that third, fourth round of a Grand Slam. But no, Rublev, after struggling with that second set, gets through four and two. And you look for Rublev, he's dropped two sets in his first three matches. But the weight of that forehand on this surface is just so difficult to deal with. He puts a ton of first serves in play. When he connects with the return, you're in a ton of trouble. He has solidified himself. Another fourth round for him. Good bounce back after the Wimbledon result. And, you know, you continue to look. Shapovalov, we talked a lot about Andy Murray through his first two wins. Shapovalov, 
expose the fact that Murray is a step slower than he once was, and that's being kind. And 6-4, just too much pace from Shapovalov. Great fight from Murray to, you know, narrow the gap in that first set, but just too much power. And the moment Murray hit a slice in this match, Shapovalov was the first guy who could routinely make him pay for it, who had the discipline to, you know, again, move his feet, get up to that ball, move forward behind it, take big cuts when the opportunity presented himself, but not go for the line, but give himself some space, just keep Murray stretched, create a creek open, you know, more a crack, a crack, a crack, and then blast through the space when it's there. Uh, that's a really good win for Shapovalov into the fourth round of this Grand Slam. And again, it was a fantastic tournament for Andy Murray. It's so, uh, tennis is a better place when he's on court competing. And even if this is the best that we see from Andy Murray, it's just great to, you know, he's earned the right to play for as long as he wants. The question is, is this level enough for Andy Murray to be incentivized to continue to play, to motivate himself to keep going? There was some question about that in his answer to his last question. He said, all the rehab, all the training, and this is the level I produce. He wasn't the most thrilled with himself, and certainly that was in the emotions immediately after the loss, but... Andy Murray has always been a perfectionist. And again, the reason I keep saying I would love to show 2012 Murray film of 2021 Murray is because I know 2012 Murray would flip out. He'd be like, that's unacceptable. I refuse to believe that is how I'm playing. Absolutely not. And that perfectionist mindset, even when your body changes, that mindset doesn't go anywhere. And so the Murray hardcore fans know. If you think it's tough to watch, imagine being Andy Murray, whose mind still works at a million miles a minute and can be like, I should be doing this. I should be doing this. I should be doing this. And then his body just doesn't let him. Imagine the frustration of that. That's why it's uh, incumbent upon all of us to celebrate his return, to make clear, no, Andy, this version of you is enough. It's delightful to just have you back out there. Uh, but Shapovalov, again, solidifying his spot in the fourth round. Great performance from him, 4-2-2 two two over Murray. Christian Garin, three wins in a non-clay court ATP level match. That's happened fewer than five times, but he advances to the fourth round, the unlikeliest of fourth rounds, 6-4-6-3-4-6-6-4 over Pedro Martinez-Portero. You also had a good win from Karen Hatchnoff. This wasn't the best day at the office for Francis Tiafo, but Hatchnoff can do that to you sometimes. And again, physically, fourth round of majors. He's now made six. That's the same number as Daniil Medvedev and Andrei Rublev, although Medvedev can make his seventh if he knocks off Chilich on day six. But, you know, again, throw him in the mix. He His ceiling may not be as high as those other guys. He's going to be really good for a really long time. Three, four, and four over Tiafo. Your other wins, Djokovic, four, three, and six over Kudla. Don't think I forgot about Novak Djokovic, but what am I going to say? He's really freaking good. When he goes into, you know what, I'm not going to miss any more mode. He doesn't miss anymore, and you don't beat him, And as well as Dennis Kudla played, and Dennis Kudla played well, and another third round for him at Wimbledon. Guy's a grass court specialist. Guy attacks open space so well, He but he's still in the top 100 conversation. He, he's got some good, really good tennis still left in him, but... And I don't know why I'm saying left in him as if he's not. Just let's be clear. Dennis Kudla's a top 100 guy is what I'm trying to emphasize. But yeah, Djokovic is going to Djokovic. And guess what? He Djokovic'd. Uh, so fantastic result for him. And then RB, I guess the, the compliment to Kudla is that he pushed Djokovic. He made Djokovic care about the match. And I know that's such like a low standard, but Djokovic oftentimes in a grand slam, he doesn't need to care until it's crunch time. He had to care from start to finish in this one, had to be locked in. Otherwise, Kudla made him pay for it. Straight set win for Novak. And then last but not least on the men's side, RBA 7-5-6-1-7-6 ends the run of Dom Kofer. Kofer has established himself as a top 64, top 50 sort of guy, uh, which again, he is not your 6-4-6-6 sort of player. He's a guy who gets every ounce of his physicality and moves the ball so well around the court, competes so well also, but ultimately, just a little too much pop from RBA, too much discipline. He advances to another fourth round here at Wimbledon in straight sets. On the women's side, talk about that generational shift. Sabalenka, Sviantek, Rabakina. They drop a combined nine games in their six sets. Sabalenka 0-3. Just too much firepower over Maria Camilo Osorio Serrano, who will be back and who just competes so well. She's going to be a top 50 player for a very long time. Not sure of her ceiling yet, but she's going to be top 50 for a very, very long time. Sviantek former junior Wimbledon champion, 1-0 over Bagu. She showed everyone exactly why. Rabakina's power's too much for Shelby Rogers. And again, she has already, we've talked about this on previous podcasts, weekend privileges. She can golf. She can dine in the dining hall whenever she wants. Serena Williams, country club board members, keeping an eye on Elena Rabakina. 
I mentioned Victoria Golubic, 2-1. and one. She ends the run of Madison Brangle. That backhand, uh, she might have the best one-handed backhand, not just in women's tennis, but in tennis period. It is very, very fun to watch her strike the ball. And then, sneaky good performance. Carolina Pliskova says, not so fast, my friends. I want back in the top 10. She earns a 3-3 three and three win over Martin Sova. And this is for both Sabalink and Pliskova. And I'm, I'm hesitant to even say this because I'm setting up their fourth-round losses collectively, but... When you're not talking about them, that's when they play their best stuff. We are not talking about Karolina Pliskova right now, and so she can just coast her way. Good wins over Vekic and Martinsova on her pathway to this fourth round. Three and three win for her. That will be a confidence boost, and you look for Karolina Pliskova. I'm curious. In the live rankings, with her victory here by making the round of 16, she uh, stems the bleeding a little bit back up to number 12. If she wins and gets to the quarterfinals, she will be back into the top 10 at number 10 exactly. So top 10 is on the line for Karolina Pliskova in her round of 16 match. You look for her. She's got Samsonova match power tennis in that one. Samsonova does have the sort of power to expose the lack of exceptional movement from Pliskova. Pliskova, an 8.4% chance of winning this event according to the tennis abstract format uh, forecast. It's Barty 1, Kerber 2, Pliskova, uh, Jabour 3, excuse me, and Pliskova 4 at that 8.4%. Certainly, again, quietly earns her way into round number four as she earns a straight set win over uh, Martin Sova. Great tournament for Martin Sova and great grass court portion of the season for her as well. But then ultimately again, Pliskova able to advance. Those are your day five matches. Now again, by the time you're listening to this podcast, day six likely well underway. But just, you know, in case you haven't had the chance, you're just curious or you listen or you try to listen to these pods before you watch any of the action because of where you live, whatever it may be. Very fun matches set up on Saturday, and again, there is no Sunday at Wimbledon. It's a middle Sunday, and there will be a podcast tomorrow recapping day six, but you know, uh, just so you guys know, we're moving CR headquarters here in Indianapolis, aka Westoff and I are moving houses because... Again, I don't have to get Parker moved out because he had to move closer to work. Anyways... um, because of that, podcast times, content release, things may be a little bit funky tomorrow. You look at the matches. I think Goff Yuvon is a sneaky fun one between youngsters, but obviously Mukova, Pavlochenkova, Krechikova, Sevastova, those should both be fun. Barty Sitnyakova should be a good one as well. I mean, all of them at this point. What does Radikainu, who I finally learned how to pronounce the name, pronounce the name what does she look like? against Kirstea, can she keep the magic happening? I don't think so, but I suppose anything is possible. Meanwhile, on the med side, I made a whole case for Nori over Federer on the GSP ace of the day, so I'm not going to repeat myself here, but that's a fun one. All of the matches, Fritz Zverev, FAA Kyrgios, Hercots Bublik, Chilich Medvedev. Should be a really fun day six of tennis as we wrap up week number one. And of course, if you have missed out on any of the action, you can catch up on it all on our website, CrackedRackets.com. You need the more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. We are at CrackedRackets. You want to mention Matt? Uh, Talk to me directly. I should, I suppose, that's the word I'm looking for. I am at Great Shot Pod. A shout out as always to our super producers, Max Fliegner and Daniel Wasta, for the f- of an editing job they do day in day out. A shout out as well to our friends at Tennis Point. Remember tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. But with that in mind, for our wonderful super producers, Fliegner and Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point, and from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break, and we will talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.